Hi everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk and I am your host Lila Winston. I want to thank you so much for tuning into today's Bible study. I pray that you're well and God is blessing in your life. As you know, we come together to read in the word of God so that we can study it and practically apply it and also so that we can discover the purpose of our lives and accomplish that. So I pray that you've been well. I hope that you are continually growing in the Lord. And of late, we have been having conversations of how to kind of practically live out our purpose and practically live the word of God. And I think that's a really important aspect of it. I think it's something that we uh, definitely as believers should focus on because this is going to get us to the place um, where we want to be. And I, what we're going to have a conversation about, I think every believer uh, really needs to have this conversation because it really speaks to the fact that we need to help each other and we need to be useful in the lives of other believers wherever we can. And um, it, it really is wherever we can. You know, if you have, you know, a skill or a gift in the body of Christ, then it's a good idea to share that with other believers because that is how we are going to grow. And I want us to look at a section of text that really kind of speaks to, I guess you could say an older believer and then a younger believer or, you know, I mean, and I hate to see, say older believer and younger believer because sometimes the age of a believer really depends on how much they study the word of God. It's not always that, you know, they are, I guess you could say, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that how much you study is really what matures you. It's not how long you've been in the faith. Um, we actually did a Bible study here. I'll see what, if I can link it in the description, but a lot of times, you know, uh, Age does not come by time when it comes to the body of Christ. Yes, I know you could have been walking with the Lord for many years, but if you really haven't been studying, or I won't say you, if the person really hasn't been studying, or you know they really haven't, you know, been trying to live that out in their lives, then their life is going to look vastly different. The person who's been in the Lord for twenty years, despite the fact that they have been a Christian for twenty years, is going to look vastly different than the person who's been in the Lord for five years, but they have been practically applying it um, and really seeking to mature in the faith, and so. I want us to look at that and really kind of consider what it is that we are looking at. And our anchor text today is going to be 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 1 and we're going to read until verse 5. So it really isn't that long, but I think it's a really great chapter. And if you have a chance to read 2 Samuel chapter 11, I just want to encourage you to do it. So let's go ahead and get started. It's 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 to 5. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when King go forth to battle that David sent Joab his servant with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David tarried still at Jerusalem and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose off of his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman who was very beautiful to look upon and David said and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and, re and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent, and told David, and said, 
I am with child. And that's second uh, Samuel chapter 11, verse one and five. Now this is a really spicy uh, chapter of the Bible. You know, it's the, it's the chapter that really got David in trouble. And we're going to look at that right now, because I think there's such huge implication in this beyond the adultery, right? I mean, I know the adultery is important here. And I know that's what most people focus on when they um, you know, look through or they teach or teach from this Bible study. But um, I'm hoping that we can look at it in a different way, look at it with a little bit more, with new eyes. If you could, with me, look at this by, at this chapter with new eyes, okay? Because I want you to see the other stories that are encapsulated in the story of David and Bathsheba. This isn't a story about a man who had just had an illicit affair with a woman that he saw, this is a much bigger story that encapsulates many people and it's over a period of time because this is a story about a loyal and honorable man as well. This isn't just a story about cheaters or adultery. This is a story about a man who was loyal to himself, he was loyal to his king, and he was loyal to his God. And it is also a story about how not to treat servants or subordinates. That's also what it's about, how we treat the people that are under us, the people that are coming up under us, the new talent, the new believers, the young Christians, um, whatever it may be. If you're a believer, maybe you're in a particular industry and there are new people coming up. This has so much import for our lives, right? Beyond the adultery, okay? Um, this is a story that is about um, employers. It's about bosses about supervisors, parents, anyone with influence over the lives and livelihoods of others, right? And it gives us something, it, it sort of teaches us in a very visual and practical way that's often quite tragic that there is an imperative to one, treat people correctly, two, treat servants right, three, regard people with care. And of course, number four, do not defraud them. And this is something that happens quite often, you know, um, in, in many places, you know, people won't get their, um, their uh, hire or their paychecks for months and months. They're waiting for their employer or their, even their government to pay them and they're, they're experiencing hardship. So there are, there are lessons in this Bible study that this, I'm sorry, not this Bible study, this chapter that really do go beyond the adultery, right? And if we look in Ephesians chapter six, verse nine, it teaches us about the importance of being a good master. And it says, and you masters do the same things unto them for bearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. That's Ephesians chapter six and nine. And the reason this is so important is because you have to understand David was the king. And you have to understand that Uriah was a soldier. He was a foot soldier. He was David's servant, right? He looked over and saw that his servant had something absolutely amazing. Have you ever wondered why someone that seemed like they had more than you or bigger than you was trying to steal something that you had, right? This is what that is. It's a lesson for all of us. It's a lesson for if you're a person and you know, you feel like you're a small person and you don't understand why other people are looking at the things that you have. And if you're a big person, it tells you, why am I looking at this, that this other person has who is below me. And I don't mean below you in terms of worth or value, but in terms of rank or in terms of some level of stature in the world. And so this story is remarkable because of the amazing fidelity of the soldier Uriah. I mean, I really think we focus too much on the adultery and not this 
brilliant soldier, Uriah, in this scenario. We are often preoccupied with the most salacious part of the narrative, which of course is David and Bathsheba, but Uriah was a pretty amazing guy. David tried many times to manipulate this man, but he couldn't because the man was just so honorable. I mean, when I read it, you know, recently, it was just it. And I was doing the study. It was just it blew my mind how faithful this man was. It just you couldn't believe that someone could be that faithful. But I want us to look also at David's adultery, because while it was a woman for David, that he had his fall on, it may be something else that we cheat on God with. That's why I don't want us to focus so much on it being adultery, right? I want you to focus on the other ways in which we maybe cheat on God with money or with with church or with service or social media or food. The point is that we give something that belongs to God to someone or something else. And that's really kind of what cheating is, is when you take what is meant for your spouse and you give it to someone else. And it's called adultery because what is between you and your spouse? The Bible said that two become one flesh. And when you add any other person, any other thing to it, you sully it. You adulterate the strength of it. People wonder why their marriages don't last. Well, I mean, you've added so many other, there are so many other people in the equation now. And that's really the point. God wants a strong, uh, unadulterated relationship, not only between a man and his wife, but between God and us. So David's first mistake was not really in seeing a beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop. And Bathsheba was not wrong for enjoying the leisure and amenities of her own house, right? We can't fault Bathsheba. I think a lot of times we have a tendency in culture because it skews toward, um, you know, the uh, misogynist. And that's simply because of the curse. And it's the Bible tells us that men would rule over the women. So it skews that way. And we have to be careful to course correct so we can see things from the vision of the kingdom and understand this woman was not wrong for being on her rooftop, you know, bathing, right? She was in some cheap tramp, you know, trying to do anything, right? We could just as easily say, what was David doing on his roof, peeking over, trying to see women? Was he peeking over, trying to see naked women? And I think we have to be careful about, you know, how we categorize people when we're looking at the scripture. It simply says the woman was taking a bath. And so David's mistake also was not uh, going out on his terrace or wherever he went to see her, David's mistake was going beyond the moment. That is what the mistake was, to the thought, and then taking a step further to inquire about her. I want you to understand the moment when things turned left. The moment when things turned left was not when he saw a naked woman, right? That's not necessarily wrong. If you see a naked person, sure, you you want to turn away, right? You don't want to take the thought someplace else, of course. But the, the turning point was when he decided to do something else, when he took it beyond the moment. And I want to encourage you to remember that there are some conversations you just shouldn't have with others or even yourself, right? Like, I'm sure Dave was thinking, oh my God, she's gorgeous. I wonder who, no, that's not a question you should ask. Who is she? Where is she from? No, but David got curious about her. 
Now, in those days, polygamy was something that God tolerated. So we have to keep that in mind, even though from the be- from the beginning, we see that that was not his original intent. According to John, I'm sorry, according to Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19, verse four and five, I'll prove it to you. It says, and he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the twain shall be one flesh. That's Matthew chapter uh, 19, verse four and five. So we see two become one in the human domain of marriage as God ordained it, not three become one or six become one in marriage. It just isn't a math equation that actually makes sense in God's economy from the beginning. So it's possible um, in these times, Times that David could have sought to summon her to be a concubine or even a wife. But I think this bears a really great point that if we are not in the habit of skirting around and flirting with sin, we can escape it. Some things you have to just avoid if you have a propensity toward it or if there is some uncanny element of human nature involved. And that's something I think we don't talk about, the human natureness of us all, the, the fleshiness of us all and what we are prone to do. And I want to share something with with you that a lot of people don't focus on. It's not necessarily sin, okay? It's just the way that humans are made. And sometimes you need to understand this, you know, in order to be able to navigate your life with more wisdom. And I have always sort of wrapped my mind around this and I want you to do it because it's going to give you some level of freedom. I want you to remember that in the Bible, okay, in the book of wisdom, it says that there are some things that are beyond knowing, right? There are some things that are beyond knowing. And one of them is the way of a man with a maid. That is in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18 and 19. And when it says a man with a maid, it's not talking about, you know, a woman that cleans the house or even a young virgin. What it means is a man with a woman, right? And let me show you what it says. I'll prove it. It says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18 and 19, it says, There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four, which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. That's Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18, uh, I'm sorry, verse 30, verse 18 to 19. And it means in matters concerning men and women, you need to be extra careful because there's some dynamic of mystery between the two, right? That is essentially what it's saying. There's something that God put in the man and God put in the woman that is going to do something that is too wonderful for us to actually understand, right? He, he equates it to the weight of an eagle in the air, And to this day, we're still kind of trying to figure that out. You know, there are people in aerodynamics that have their theories. There are people in physics and other, um, and other way, other, uh, sort of disciplines, but truly, do we truly understand how he just jumps off of the ground and flies away? I've looked at very little birds leap off of the ground. I'm like, there's no wind. (laughs) There's nothing there helping that bird get off the ground. There's no aerodynamics there. And that is what you have to understand. If you can understand human nature according to what the Bible tells you, you can avoid a lot of things because there are a lot of wise tales and fables and, you know, ideas that have been created through culture and through, you know, misogyny, 
polyandry and all of these different ideas that come out and we don't really understand that these ideas are not real. God's ideas are real and they demonstrate themselves over and over again, right? It means in matters concerning men and women, keep this in mind, you need to be extra careful. Things get confused and sticky, so take precaution. And this is especially true if you're married, you know, for it tells us plainly in Exodus 20:14, thou shalt not commit adultery. We all know this, but who commits adultery? Who wants to commit adultery against someone they love? In the story of Ruth, and I want to point this out because we're seeing a man inquiring about a beautiful woman. In the story of Ruth, we see Ruth gleaning, right? And we see Boaz inquiring about her in Ruth chapter two, verse five and six. It says, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. That's Ruth chapter two, verse five and six. It is an example of a man that is qualified and justified in inquiring about a woman. But if you are going to inquire about anything, not just a woman, not just a man, if you're a woman or not just a piece of land or, you know, whatever it could be, how much the dress costs in the window, you need to search your motives. If you are seeking to inquire about someone or something, ask yourself first if you qualify to do anything with the information. This is so huge. Seriously, if you qualify, ask yourself, do I qualify to do anything with the information that I'm seeking to ascertain? If no, then you have your answer in advance. There is no point in asking, no need to send a high text, no need to visit online or offline, unless of course it's some ministry thing or it has something to do with God. If it's edification, of course, but if not, just let it go. The problem lies not with the person who is sought but the seeker. And we have to be honest about that within ourselves as believers, right? And I want to show you something graphic. If a stalker, uh, think about a stalker. A stalker is himself insane. He or she is constantly trying to force their interaction, whether it's platonic or hostile, because something is wrong with them, not the person whom they seek. We have a really bad psychology um, and mysticism out there that says you draw people to you. That's not really true. It's whether you entertain them or not that makes the difference. Because if you look like a lamb, a wolf is going to come. Does that mean, you know, you require being eaten by a wolf? No. (laughs) What it means is it it means that people are drawn by different things, right? I I want you to think about something and maybe this will help conceptually. Flies swarm around good food and bad food. Remember this. This will help you in life. Flies swarm around good food and bad food. The difference is that nobody cares to spot them away from the garbage. And that's really the point. It means good and bad will come to you. Bad will come to you. Yes, it's up to you to swat the flies away. It's up to you to get away, go away, leave it alone, right? And I have to admit for the first time, you know, really kind of reading through this and studying it, that it made me feel a little angry, right? Because, and I've never felt this way about this text. Absolutely never. Like I've always read it and thought, okay, yeah, like I understand human nature and I understand what he did was just you know, abhorrent, but at the same time, I feel like, okay, this was a story in the Bible, but you know what made me kind of feel that way is because I looked up at how honorable and faithful Uriah was. Like I really started looking at this text 
away from the adultery. I kind of put the adultery to the back. And I said, let me look at the person who is, quote unquote, a supporting character. Uriah was faithful. Because when you look at it objectively, this isn't just about adultery. As some have made it to be. It's also about theft. This is about covetousness. This is about faithfulness and loyalty. This is about hidden sin. This is about refusing to repent. This is about pride and reputation. And also, this is about deceit. It's about greed. How can a man who was once a common soldier like Uriah, who has acquired so much in life, covet and steal from a man that is so loyal, well-meaning, and well beneath his stature and greatness? Think about it. Can you imagine stealing food from someone who's starving? That's the equivalent of what David did. It's like it's like being the valedictorian and stealing the answers from the guy who can just barely make a C. You know, it's it's like it's like having thousands of houses and trying to steal, you know, I don't know, an umbrella from someone. I mean, Think about what we're looking at here, right? This is about a man, David, who became like Saul. Isn't that crazy? The very man from which the kingdom was snatched, David suddenly became like that man. And Saul sought to kill a loyal soldier too. And David, dear Lord, sought to kill a loyal soldier too. David wanted to save his reputation Saul wanted to save his kingdom. David became like Saul. We have to always evaluate ourselves. What am I like? What am I being like to others? Am I taking something from them? Am I stealing something from them? Am I depriving them of something when they are so loyal and they have done me no wrong? Now, I have to say this. It is, it's not lucky, but it's good for David that when the prophet Nathan came and confronted him about his sin with a parable of a man with a small lamb and a rich landowner that had lots and lots of sheep, David did not try to cover his sin after that. He just repented. He said, yes, I, I did it. I am wrong. He didn't explain it away. You see, God is not a fool. God cannot be deceived. And Saul made this error. That was the difference between Samuel, I'm sorry, the difference between David and Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 14 to 17, it says, And Samuel said, What means this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own sight, were you and wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? That is 1 Samuel chapter 15, 14, and 17. And I think we have to go back to David when he was little in his own eyesight, when he was a little soldier a little infantry guy, foot soldier, and he was small. He was running in, you know, on the backside of, of Israel trying to save his life from Saul. David was loyal to Saul. He was loyal to Israel. 
And now here he is doing the very same thing to Uriah. You see, David repented and that is the good part. We have to remember that is the point. Say, hey, recognize, oh, this isn't the thing I need to be doing. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. This isn't what I should be doing. But in a way, David lost his kingdom too. He was cursed with having conflict that never left his house because of his betrayal. And he also lost his baby with Bathsheba. You see, David stole from Uriah. He sinned against Uriah and presented Uriah with gifts as though he were doing him a favor. Uriah never asked for gifts or time off from the war or time with his wife. Uriah was loyal. Imagine Uriah was so loyal and the king was looking him directly in the face seeking to deceive him. Many people pretend to be good to someone all the while stealing from them. This happens in business, in family, in ministry, in work. Someone steals a co-worker's ideas and presents it as his own, then treats that unwitting co-worker to lunch. One college roommate plagiarizes another college uh, student's hard work and study and then offers him, hey, let's get on the varsity team with me. Let's go out for drinks. See, also, it's just important to understand that not everybody smiling, as they say, is meaning you well. And we as believers have to be sure we don't need to do anyone a favor if we just do them right. Like you don't need to do any big deals for people if you just treat them right. It's also worthwhile to note that Uriah's wife did not tell him either. I think this is really important. We over often uh, overlook this point. Uriah actually had an opportunity to come to his own house. So I'm sure his wife, you know, came to the door and they had some conversations, but she did not tell him about what happened between her and David. And I don't know if she did, didn't tell him because she was complicit with the king's request or not. It, it, the text is not specific there. We do not know that the Bible... Uh, doesn't, you know, say that, but it also doesn't define this interaction between David and Bathsheba as rape. But it is possible at the very least to call it coercive because it's really difficult to say no to the king, right? Like if the king or the ruler of your country says, you know, I want you to do A, B, C, or D thing, it's hard, especially if you were a woman back in those times. But God wants fidelity from us, even if it costs us position or money. And that is what she should have done more than anything. He should have had to take it from her. And that might have made some things too, but that isn't to put blame on either one more than another. Still then, when we look at Absalom's sister, in the story of Absalom, where his sister was raped by his half-brother, she resisted. And sometimes we must resist to do wrong, even when it is from powerful people like rulers. And one reason I suppose she did not tell her husband because he might have been so enraged that he did something drastic. And I think we have to take that into consideration. You know, there's actually a saying that goes, hell hath no fury like a woman scorn. But I don't actually think that is true. I think it's a man-made fairy tale that we have appropriated from somebody's culture. I don't know where that saying came from, but it's from somebody's cultural context, someone else's worldview. I'm not sure if you know, that would be great. You can put it in the comments. But I think it was appropriated from someone's cultural worldview because in practice, that's not exactly what happened. And that's not 
exactly what it says in the Bible. What the Bible actually says is that in these matters of the heart, when it comes to adultery, the scorn of betrayal or rejection by a partner, it's actually the man that has the fury. And I will prove that to you in scripture. It says that in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 34 and 35, it says, For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. And if you just want to read this in context, it's in context of a man sleeping with another man's wife, right? And and the preacher, I'm sorry, the wise man teaching his son, look, leave women alone, right? That, you know, don't go running after strange women. You know, their husband will come back and will do you quite dirty. So rage is a strong version, version of anger. And so is fury. So I think maybe the better quote is hell hath no fury like a man scorn, because that is more true to human nature to human experience and even what the Bible says. And it goes a step further than that, right? In Numbers chapter 5, verse 14 and 30, the Levitical law actually puts in a clause for the jealousy of a man, not the jealousy of a woman. And I believe that real life backs this notion up entirely. It has been my experience that women often take men back after infidelity or even accept it or even they uh, accept polygyny, whereas men tend not to do so. Men tend to become jealous and may kill her and even the other man, even himself in some cases. Men tend to be the ones who are furious. If polygyny is okay, then polyandry would be too, and it would be popular in society because both are a form of marriage, right? And while people debate the legitimacy of polygamy, they never mention polyandry, right? The marriage of one woman to many men. And the Bible, in fact, says, in fact, never says a woman can't have two, three, or even seven husbands either. I mean, we argue that a man could have two or three years. 20 wives. It doesn't say a woman couldn't have 15 husbands. It doesn't say that. But often the jealousy of a man got in the way of this practice becoming popular because women were not strong enough to enforce it. And because of the curse of um, being uh, ruled by man. So we have to understand things in context of the Bible and in context of the way things really go, not just someone's worldview or an old fable. Even the wise teacher in Proverbs warns his own son against the hellish fury of a man who finds his wife adulterous or who rejects him. Men most often stalk women they break up with, even to the point of violence or misdeeds. So hell hath no fury like a man scorned. And you have to be careful about the culture informing you about human behavior. Sometimes it says such things because the society is patriarchal and men make the rules about what gets said and legitimized, but that doesn't mean it's true. So go to the Bible for truth. It could save your life. You want to reason and act prudently using God's wisdom and instruction from the Bible. If you listen to mankind, you're going to be in a bad situation. I also believe men do feel, you know, a certain way about what it means to have love and and honor. And I think that's really important. I think honor is really important. And when it comes to relationships, respect is important when it comes to relationships. And this is a part of love, right? It's a big deal with men and among friends and comrades and associates. It pertains also to women. It is why the Bible tells women to honor their husbands. And it also tells men to honor 
their wives, as it said, says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. So men understand rank well because of the activities that they participate in, like sports and military. It is a necessary ingredient to a man's self-image. And so we see that bruised ego, bruised affection is likely to bruise rank and honor, and it can be fatal according to the Bible. But when we think of the first sin in this story that sent one loyal soldier after another, we see the evolution of sin, okay? We are looking at the evolution of sin from one man to another. This goes beyond just, you know, the idea that, you know, Uriah might have been jealous if he had learned what David had done. But if we look at what David did to Uriah, we then begin to see one soldier goes after another soldier, right? And we see sin, right? And we see how it develops in humanity. I think this is probably one of the most um, demonstrative stories of how sin develops. It says so in James chapter one, verse 14 and 15, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lusts have conceived, it brings forth sin and sin when it is finished brings forth death. And that is everything that happened in this story. And you have to be careful for it too. And I want you to notice that in James 1 verse 14 and 15, it never mentions God. It talks about the development of sin, of how sin progresses, right? And that is what we have to remember as believers is that God isn't the one just doling out this punishment. Sin has its own payback. That's the thing. Like sin has its payback, right? Sin has an evolution as a process and there is a payback coming for it. And so if we understand that, we won't try to hide our sin, right? We'll run to God so that we can have it mitigated. God is the only one that can mitigate sin. That is what his son came to do. And that is why when we have failures and we fall, when we do something, we need to run to God and not away from him right? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. So it doesn't make sense to accuse other people of our own lust. And sometimes that's something we do too, right? We say, oh, she was dressed too sexy and that made me, you know, whatever. Or he was, uh, he said it this way and that made me, you know, no, no, it's your own lust that causes you to do those things. And you can't put those on people. And as long as you don't take responsibility for it, you won't go to God and ask him to mitigate what's eventually coming. So we have to be cognizant of other dynamics that are at play. When we look at this relationship between Bathsheba and David, it eventually produced a son named Solomon. And we all see how Solomon's life turned out, even though he was the wisest and richest man to have lived. His heart was turned from God for the many, many wives and concubines he had. And I don't think this is a coincidence. And you shouldn't either. In the Bible study, Sam's story, and I hope you check it out, we see a similar generational kind of dynamic that followed Samuel and his sons. If we can remember, Samuel was the protege of Eli. And if you will also remember Eli's sons, they were some really wild guys. And it turns out Samuel had some really wily progeny too. And this is the propensity to pass down these behaviors. So be careful. 
the family you marry into. Be sure to know their history before you say I do, before you produce a child. And I say this not from a place of spookiness or judgment or even superstition, because I don't even really believe in generational curses, right? But I do believe in learned behavior. I do believe that there's epigenetics. I do believe that there is spoken word influence in terms of what you say and how you converse with others. I do believe that evil communication corrupts good manners. So if you're in an environment where people are, you know, communicating evil things, doing certain things, that is going to rub off on you. And I think it is naive to think that it will not if you are not careful, right? I believe there is a power in environment. And these things influence us and often reproduce similar outcomes in our lives that seem like generational curses when really it's learned behavior. And so if you want to change generational curses, then change how you talk, change your environment, who you consort with, and take time to question behaviors and beliefs to see if they actually square with the Bible and not just fables like how hath no fury like a woman scorned and feel good quotes from organized religion. You see, I think that the story of Bathsheba and David is also a picture of the failure of those around David to call out the behavior. And I think we get so caught up on David and Bathsheba and it was salacious when we forget there were other people beyond even Uriah involved in this story, right? Because you have to remember... David had to call messengers, the leader of the guard. There were plenty of people who knew what was going on between David and Bathsheba, right? And to refuse to obey based on the principles of God and not the principles of the king is a very important thing to have in your heart. Have you ever wondered what the head commander thought when David asked him to put Uriah at the head of the conflict, right? We never think about that. There are some orders you just should not obey because they are wicked. Men keep deadly secrets. That's something I have learned, and women do too, but they know that their friend or male relative is cheating or down low or something, and they don't say a thing about that Despite the danger to the wife and kids, they invite a certain friend along and know that it is a setup. They hurt or destroy the innocent because they are just following orders. Some secrets kill and some secrets destroy lives. And this is not to say women do not keep secrets. They do. The pastor's wife who knows her husband just copies other preacher's sermons for Sunday service. The mom who knows her first son is not the biological son of her husband. We must be vigilant about the lies that we call secrets. They will eventually be found out. And I will prove it to you in Mark chapter 4 verse 22. Our Lord says, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested Neither was the, was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. Be careful what you try to hide. It will come out. It was futile for David to try to hide his sin, because even though he had gone to maximum degree to kill a man and take his wife, it still came to light with the words of a prophet. Like he had gotten rid of Uriah, he had married the woman. No one knew, but a prophet came to him. So if a prophet is going to come to you, just, you know, like, just... Just be honest with God, right? People think that coming to God and confessing sin is tantamount to a child telling their parent that they stole a cookie. 
well, then the parent doles out the punishment. But according to James 1, chapter 14, 15, which we read, sin has a life of its own. It will come to maturity and produce death in the life of the person in one way or another. And we as believers have an edge in this fight against flesh. We have Christ as our advocate and intercessor. So when we sin, we run to him to plead our cause. We seek mercy and forgiveness from him. God can mitigate repercussions from sin because where sin brings death, Christ brings resurrection and life. This is a soldier's story, one in which the older soldier, David, forgets what it is like to take your life into your own hands for the defense of your people and your God. He forgot that spitfire that he used to be, right? who said to uh, the, the company of the Philistines, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the Most High God? Look at what it says in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty six, And David spoke to the men that stood about him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God You see, in the end, we all have a soldier story to tell. We all do. One great exploit with God is the life that we lead. Great deeds require great fidelity. Let us then be careful to see ourselves in other believers. Let us us build and not tear down. Let us bless and not curse. Let us give and not steal from them. Let us remember the soldier's story and the story of the lamb that the prophet told. Be careful what you take from another believer. Be careful what you take from anyone that's not yours. Sometimes what you steal is all that they have. It is birthed from dear and dire experiences. They give their loyalty and their last to God, not you. Let us respect and love one another as fellow soldiers. Now, I want to show you something. In 2 Samuel verse 12, verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor, The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Don't be that man. Be like Eli, who instead of pushing down another, he threw his mantle over him. I just want you to remember that we as believers, we edify each other. We do not steal from each other. We do not hurt each other and take from each other. This is how the body grows. May the living God of heaven and earth always defend you. Amen.
study the Bible uh, to find practical solutions to our everyday problems in our lives. And I wanted to come here to give you an opportunity if you are an advertiser and you would like to um, tell the world about your product or service, you can get a 60 second or 30 second slot at this broadcast. Now, guys, as you know, this is a religious broadcast, so I cannot do advertisements or sponsorships that do not fit within the context of a believer's life. So if you have resources or uh, services or products that you think would be edifying to the body of Christ, even if you also have a podcast and you'd like to advertise that here, I would be happy to share that with listeners. You can reach out to me, check out the link in the description, and you can also contact me um, at the link below. There's a little contact section, and you can leave me a message. So thanks so much. Don't forget to follow me on social media, and I, I'm at twitter.com forward slash one love live. That's O-N-E-L-U-B-L-I-V-E. Thanks so much. God bless, and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Thank you.